Good evening. Good evening and welcome. Welcome to this Friday night edition of Atlas Live. Tonight, we may end up going a little shorter. We're not sure. We're feeling just a little bit under the weather. Uh, I think I think I ca caught a cold uh, this afternoon. I, out, I was out um, shoveling the driveway and then I decided to go for a walk. And I was pretty sweaty underneath after shoveling the driveway and it was like minus 13 and the wind was blowing. So I was trying to keep moving fast to keep my temperature up. But then I ran into a neighbor and, well, I had to stop and have a conversation with them. And they proceeded to tell me this terrible story about how their little dog was attacked by another dog. And I didn't want to be rude and tell them, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm completely soaking wet underneath and I'm, I'm, ca I'm catching a cold. So I, uh, I heard out their st the, the story of their little dog, Bailey. And, um, and then uh, as soon as he had finished, I, I uh, um, shared my regrets and tried to press on with my walk. So it's possible I caught a bit of a cold. Um, but we'll, we'll do our best and we'll press on and we'll try to see uh, how far we can go and if we cover the topic. In all honesty, you can probably tell from the topic, uh, from the background, the, uh, the topic is fairly straightforward. I mean, we all know what this is like, right? The tension between heart and mind. We all deal with that in uh, one of a number of ways. And there are many different expressions or manifest manifestations of this tension. And we just thought we would share with you just some of our own experience and struggle with this because we feel that many people struggle with this. And it just turns out that, as we mentioned, we, we picked up a copy of a, uh, well, not a copy, we picked up an ebook, a digital copy, I suppose, of uh, this book, How to, How to Win a Million uh, Followers in a Month. It's this uh, social media marketing branding guru who made this, uh, who wrote this book. And it's very interesting because there are two sort of conflicting strategies that he talks about in the book. And one of them deals with, one of them is very analytical. One of them is very practical and real world, analytical, statistics-based, very methodical, experimentation-based, basically, testing every all the content you do doing a b testing on everything tracking everything tracking the performance finding out which one is more effective and more efficient at gaining followers or gaining uh, uh causing individuals to take the the action that you want them to take and 
there's a lot of other business type related strategies in the book that are like this where it's you you test something you measure it you measure the performance you measure the outcome and then you adjust based on the measurements and the results and even down to the degree of changing the colors changing the fonts changing the images changing the music in the content that you're putting out that is very much a kind of nuts and bolts mental exercise that appeals to the intellect it appeals to the mind it says look there's a systematic way there's a systematic approach and we're going to do trial and error and essentially we're going to we're going to throw as much as we can at the wall and see what sticks see what works see what's sticky see what goes viral see what people are interested in what people are willing to share what people are going to click on and click through and share with their friends and family and what are going to cause them to follow you etc 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 right so what is the most technically effective content and and the book goes into expanding into this like you know we all know what works on facebook you know we know it's cat videos right cat videos are, and, and videos of like children and videos of people like fail videos and stuff like that so funny videos animal videos heartwarming videos um inspirational motivational you know there's there's a whole laundry list of categories and he goes into a lot of other detail in in relation to the types of emotional impact that you can have and so on and so forth this is not tonight's topic mind you we're just expressing to you how this the topic tonight was very much has been very much on our mind as we've been preparing for and starting to get our ducks in a row in this social media campaign that we are embarking upon to increase the followership of atlas information for the express reason the only reason the express reason is to be able to attract the right literary agent and or publisher to publish the book that we are writing on fear the global pan the real global pandemic the pandemic of fear which permeates this humanity from from the bottom rungs all the way to the upper highest echelons and and everywhere in between and everybody suffers from it bar none and the many 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 faces of fear and this book is such a seminal and important work that we want to be sure that the publisher we work with is going to have a, a broad reach in the ability to promote and get the book in front of as many people as possible because this is the type of book that everybody should read so as a result we have to go through this process of of validating ourselves in the eyes of the authorities right in the eyes of the publishers or the agents we have to be able to demonstrate to them that we have a built-in audience for this book and that means 
over the next few months building up our viewership and our followership and our likes and all that kind of stuff and subscribers on YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. So all of that sounds like it's a very technical nuts and bolts, marketing, advertising, social media, branding exercise. And so it follows that a good chunk of this strategy, this book on how to achieve this focuses on statistics and probabilities and case studies and what's worked for other people, et cetera, et cetera. But there's another aspect which permeates the book and is the last word. The final chapter of the book focuses on this. The, the beginning chapters of the book and the final chapters, the book ends of the book, focus on this aspect. And it is, and it is in no uncertain terms put in, put this way, know yourself, know who you are, know your values, know your voice, know your, your, your unique voice, your unique value. What are you bringing to the world that nobody else is? What are you doing that's different and unique that people will value? And that people will want to share because it will, it will, they will, it will reflect positively on them in the eyes of those whom they share it with. In other words, this is very much follow your intuition, follow your gut, listen to your heart, be authentic, be passionate. It is impossible to be authentic about something that you're not passionate about. And it is very, very difficult to be authentic when you're in your head and you're worrying about all the statistics and, you know, crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's and making sure that you're doing the systematic, systematized process of, of, the, of the highest efficiency in order to maximize the return on your investment of time and energy, etc. Authenticity is being who you are, what you are, putting your blood, sweat, and tears into something and doing it the way you feel it needs to be done. Saying what you feel needs to be said and what you know in your heart is why you're here to say it and that you know that people need to hear it. And that if you're inspired to do it a certain way and this way and that way with certain images and certain graphics and certain colors and certain fonts, and that's the way it came out the first time, well then, then it's most likely right. So why all this A-B testing? Now you got to make a different version of that with different images and different colors and different this and then another version and another version and keep testing and keep testing because maybe your first version isn't the best version. And that's possible. And we went through this this week. We made 
a couple little videos for Facebook and, and Instagram, and we made four different versions of the same video and, and saying the same message, but they were based on an initial video which had the message kind of backwards. And frankly, as we have observed and showed it to our designer friend, he looked at it and said, well, this version and this version, this, this version, the colors are all wrong. The version where the colors were right was the first version that was based on that original version where it was just the order was backwards. We reversed the order. We came up with something that we like better, a better message in our view, because a message that puts the viewer first and makes the viewer the focus of the video instead of, instead of us instead of Atlas. And as a result, I think we have a better video, but the images and the music and the words and the way it was all put together and the colors and everything worked the, the, the first time. And um, so there's this constant balancing that we face in life. This, this tension that's pulling us between these two centers, between our heart and our, our intuition. And when we say heart, right, we mean intuition, gut feeling, the still soft voice, the inspiration, the imagination, the passion, that which emanates from our being, the real artist, the real content creator, the one for whom we're just taking dictation and we're just doing the physical execution of his will. Who are we to second guess that? Who are, sorry, who am, yeah, who are we, you and I, who are we to second guess that? You and I. Because there's a difference between catching ourselves and like doing something one way and then looking at it and then saying, ah, you know what? What if you try doing it this way, but it, but it comes from here. It's like a gut feeling like, yeah, this is good, but it's good for our page. It's good for our followers who already follow us. But is it, going to, is it going to attract new people? No. It's appropriate on Atlas because it's about Atlas because it's on Atlas, Atlas information. So it's, it's, it's appropriate in the order that it's in. But, but to put this in another platform or to get it in front of other people or to share it in other pages, it's not appropriate because it's putting Atlas first and it shouldn't. It needs to put the viewer first. So we had that, that knowledge, that intuition came to us and said, okay, you made it once for you. Now take the same images the same color scheme, the same everything, just reverse the order and change the language up a bit. So you focus now on the viewer. And it was from there, that's the right version. And it was from there out of necessity, because we've read this book that says, oh, but you got to do A-B testing. You got to make different versions of it and test which ones to, to, are, work the best that we went and made three more versions 
and we put one of those versions out and it's not getting any good traction and it's not getting everything so really we know we know in our heart that the first version is the best version and so often when we set ourselves to performing a task to creating something to 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 doing something or we get that gut feeling we get that gut intuition that that the still soft voice speaking to us through the heart we've all experienced second guessing that and finding out the hard way that our our the the i my second guessing what i think i should do never works out the same way it all it's always it's i've learned from my experience to always go with my gut always follow the intuition always follow atlas always follow my innermost being always there is nothing that this is going to come up with which is going to be superior or that is going to serve over the long term the atlas project the will of my being the reason why we are here my very reason for existence my purpose for being is my being is atlas that's my purpose for being to second guess his knowledge his wisdom is stupid that's like the spacesuit second guessing what the astronaut needs to do and although we have wonderful fantasies like iron man where the iron man suit has a built-in ai named jarvis and jarvis seems to always know what to do and he has no problem second guessing tony stark but at the end of the day the iron man suit does what tony stark tells him to do and does what tony stark wants to do jarvis never overrules tony stark and neither should we overrule our dweller our innermost being our true self as scary and as frightening and as illogical as some of those uh, suggestions may be we're going to put the uh, link to tonight's live stream in the chat and there it is and here it is it's on the screen by the way as you may or may not have noticed we are back 
on YouTube tonight for the first time in a week. And we are going to be, as we mentioned, we are at la um, on Wednesday, or sorry, uh, last Wednesday, as we mentioned, we're going to be more mindful about not ruffling feathers on this platform because we need this platform. We need this platform to achieve our goals, our work, our mission. And there is no particular reason why we need to go and, um, and ruffle feathers and, and, and violate, you know, whatever community um, standards, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there are plenty of other platforms on which to do that. And there are plenty of other people doing just that. Right. As we mentioned, we are going to follow the, the example of Count St. Germain, Sir Francis Bacon, and, and recognize that he won the ear of Kings and royalty. And he, and he had wealthy and powerful families as his patrons, even as Shakespeare. Right? He hired Shakespeare to be a front man for his works. And Shakespeare ended up, you know, he, he ended up in the court that way, right? Queen Elizabeth was a secret fan. So we're back on YouTube. And if you're watching on YouTube, we appreciate that. And if you would consider uh, hitting the subscribe button and the, the bell icon, uh, we would appreciate that too. And clicking the like button because we would appreciate that as well <laughs> because it all helps towards achieving our goal. And the more we, we would need to get a minimum of 20,000 subscribers on YouTube in order to be placed into the algorithm and to be shared and to be put onto people's uh, recommended videos lists that YouTube serves up to them. So not easy to do, not easy to get, especially for esoteric content. But uh, we are going to be working on making more, uh, more digestible content and different types of content. And so we've, we've really taken to heart what was written in this book. But we've also taken to heart what was written in this book. And that is, we are not going to be wasting our time making... Uh, different versions of things just for the sake of having them different just for the sake of testing which one's best because frankly we put our faith and trust in God in the logos and just as I know in this past week my experience of what I was doing I know which version is best and the feedback I was getting from my designer friend and everything else. And there's just my feeling that I just know, I just know the first one I did, the one that was inspired, that was the right one. The other ones I did because I was told that I have to by somebody else, by best practices, right? 
by this guru that says, well, this is what works. This is what this is how this is how I did it. But he never mentioned whether or not his process involves that level of inspiration as ours does. If someone doesn't have access to their superior heart center, if they don't have the ability to receive the guidance, the input of their innermost in what they're doing, then naturally they're afraid, they're unsure of themselves, they're uncertain, and they're insecure. They want to maximize they don't want to leave anything on the table. They don't want to leave anything to chance. So it becomes a numbers game. It becomes a statistics game. Finding out as how much you can throw at the wall and seeing what sticks. And sometimes in the, that process of, of elimination, that, that uh, trial and error, they hit on something more or less by accident, not exactly by accident. But if something's gone through, I don't know how many iterations and gone only like marginal success, and then all of a sudden they strike on something, whatever that change may be. And then all of a sudden they see a big bump. It was really a process of evolution and a mechanical process of evolution and trial and error, and then they struck on something that worked. They say, hey, that worked. It's difficult, for example, to know. Um, if you're familiar with that video, that, that song from Korea, and that video that went viral on the internet, it's a couple years ago now, what, three years ago now, something like that? It was called Gangnam Style. And it was a flash-in-the-pan cultural phenomenon. It was this, this catchy tune that was humorous and ridiculous. And uh, it, just, it just caught on fire for a very short period of time, a blip, really. And then it vanished and went away. It's hard to know for sure. if that was a divinely inspired exercise or if it was just a lucky fluke from this j-pop artist and uh, j-pop k-pop artist and satirist uh sai whatever whatever his name is who, uh, who made that song, and it just caught on fire. For whatever reason, it just caught on fire. It just and it went viral. But there was no inherent intrinsic value to the work, to the piece. And it didn't even... It put him on the world stage for, he got his 
what is five minutes of fame? Is that how the is that how the expression goes? Or twenty minutes of fame, or however long? And he was known all over the world. And then, as quickly as he exploded onto the world scene, thanks to the internet, he vanished just as quickly. He dissolved into obscurity. And the reason why he dissolved into obscurity is because it was a fluke. It was a flash in the pan. It was a happy accident. He had done a number of different songs and videos that got no traction. And now this one, for whatever reason, happened to, to, to take off. He got his 30 minutes of fame. That's the expression. 30 minutes of fame. And then that's it. But when people looked into what other stuff that he did, they realized that it was just trite and empty, meaningless, pointless. And none of his other music was as catchy and as endearing and as charming or and as whatever as Gungam style was. So, a great deal of so-called art that is produced is a mental exercise, and it's an ego exercise. The individual may feel deep down in their heart some sort of longing, some sort of impulse to perform, to create, to express, to search for and connect with others on the plane of truth, on the plane of universal experience, or perhaps just to, to exorcise their, their demons in some way through their work, through their art. In other words, the, the cliche uh, suffering artist, that somehow their devotion and dedication to their art is the process by which they, it's, it's a cathartic process. It's a process by which they purge the causes of their suffering. They channel their suffering, if you will, into their work. And, and they use their work as a cathartic therapy, art therapy, really. And they have to do this, and they have to, and they have to continually do it, of course, because they're not really getting rid of the causes of suffering. They're just managing. They're just managing their demons. They're just managing their egos. The egos are going to want to express so. The egos are clever, and that individual has a deep longing to do art or music or whatever, poetry, uh, uh, fiction, screenplays, wh whatever the case may be. And then the egos say, well, okay, we're going to take control over that 
deep longing that comes from the heart and we're going to impose and imprint our selves onto that. But also, again, coming back to this book that we read related to the marketing campaign and the social media, it doesn't matter what kind of undertaking you engage in these days. There, every, every conceivable undertaking, every conceivable vocation, discipline, um, activity comes with it a a list of best practices, the things that you have to do or the things that you should do in order to be successful. We say that at the risk of sounding hypocritical because on Wednesday night, we talked about the core practices on the spiritual path. What was Wednesday night's live stream, if not another laundry list of what to do and how to do it in order to be successful? The difference, of course, is that as we expressed, it's not enough to know that laundry list in the mind. You have to put it into activity. You have to put it into action. And included in our list was, an, was another list, which we called additional practices. Ones that are not necessary, but could be helpful, could, be, could help contribute in some way. But if done the wrong way, or if too much emphasis and focus and energy and attention and identification were put into them, that second set of additional practices could actually become a detriment to the path. The input of the mind, of the intellect, the case studies, the 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 successful, the successful gurus and leaders. We must always recognize that what works for others may not work for us in the same way. That is why when we do one of these live streams or provide any sort of instruction or advice on the path, we always say, you have to return to your heart. You have to return to your innermost. You have to check in with your own innermost guru and your own experience. The 
and not to take anyone's word for anything just at face value and say well that per it worked for that person so it's going to work for me and this extends to all facets of our life all sorts of things even something as simple as going on a diet if you've ever tried going on a diet you know how many diets are out there and every single diet that's out there loves to parade these dramatic before and after shots where you have this 400 pound person that went down to a 200 pound person and every single one of these also includes a disclaimer at the bottom of the screen that says results not typical or results may vary but they're always showing the most dramatic results and there are well even the book that we bought now we only paid six bucks for it because it was an ebook so it didn't exactly break the bank but the book we we got the book because of the built-in credibility that came with the book that said i did this i i the author managed to attract a million followers in 30 days and he did it for the express reason of being able to publish a book or it's like well there's some per there's one person who did it did it and it's not like we have any particular knowledge or intuition on how to do that how to go about doing that we don't have the experience of doing that so it's a way of learning from other someone else's experience and that's why we opted in to acquire the book and read the book and get a better handle of which is what he did and how based on his experience but you see his experience only came after 15 20 years of doing in the same way that our experience is actually just 15 years not just 15 years but but 40 years plus going on what's this 45 years going on 50 years but there are other practical ways that we are constantly challenged between challenged being pulled between the the logic and the beliefs of the mind and the the wisdom and the intuition and the insight and the knowing that we have from the superior heart center and by the way it's a bit of a misnomer this this mind versus heart thing it's a very simple and simplistic analogy of course but we can also recognize that fear and greed and anxiety and all the egos can factor into this and we can have powerful negative emotions 
which also hinder us. That actually, by listening to the heart, but to the negative, the inferior heart center, to the negative emotions, to, to the egos expressing through those negative emotions, following the heart may be the wrong thing to do. So you have to recognize that there is a superior mental center and that we can receive information in the mind from our innermost being. And that that knowing consciousness, conscience, will be the one that guides us when we are being overwhelmed and motivated and controlled by our negative emotions, by the, by the, the, the inferior heart center. Having said that, the heart-mind tension is still there because now we'll be dealing with the superior mental center and the inferior heart center will be pulling us in a different direction. And that will cause that tension and strain and stress within us. And we'll be, again, feeling ourselves pulled, torn in two. And we will have to face the, the tarot card of indecision. Faced with two choices, two paths. And having to use our discernment in order to know which, which one is right, which path is right. And this happens to us more often perhaps, than we know. Any of us who deal with family, be it immediate family, extended family, fa your family, your, your spouse, your children, or your family, your parents, your siblings. Anyone who deals with family knows that uh, family members often mean well. Not always, but most often our family means well. They want what's best for us. And if you're anything like, like
And we're back. Well, sincerest apologies to all of you. Uh, our internet crashed, and uh, we just we just seem to have gotten it back now. Um, so, our apologies uh, for all of you for uh, the interruption. Uh, these things happen. Uh, according to this, the stream on Facebook, uh, please check Facebook to ensure the stream looks okay. If this continues for a while, try creating a new broadcast or just remove this destination from the broadcast, then re-add it. Uh, okay. All right, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to uh, going to remove. And then we're going to add. All right. And um, Hello, are we back? Do we have viewers back? Okay, we're back on Facebook too. Okay, all right. Uh, we're back on Facebook, but um, you may need to uh, go to a different stream. So we've, we've, if you're on Facebook, you should get another notification that we're back online, um, that Atlas, Atlas information is live. Um, Profiles and pages. Why is it not showing Atlas Info? Uh, Facebook mobile is useless. Uh, I see that people are starting to trickle back in. So let's just see if we can't. Okay. Uh, pages and we're gonna why are why is atlas info not showing up in my pages oh i know why because i'm logged in on the wrong account of course okay so we're back up to four i think people are starting to get the gist of it okay All right. Okay, so create a post in Facebook and uh, get our handy. Sorry for the internet crashing, crashing. We are back online both YouTube and Facebook. FB. Okay. All right. Let's do. Uh,
Okay. All right. Okay, so well, people pop seem to pop in for a minute and then pop out again. But anyway, there's two of you there. So um, where were we? Can't remember where we were when uh, when things went haywire. So ap ap apologies, it was just an internet crash. We had to re uh, reset our modem and our router. Um, but the first reset didn't do the trick. So we did it again. And this time it seemed that our connection came back. So we apologize for that. Um, all right. Family. Family always have the best of intentions or usually most often have the best of intentions and want what's best for us. And even and that even though that's driven from an emotional place, it is more often than not delivered to us from a very mental place, from a very rational, prudent, down-to-earth, practical sort of place. Our obligations to family, for instance, our obligation to our spouse, to our children, to the upkeep, upkeep and maintenance of the family, to the survival of the family, putting food on the table, having a roof over our heads. These are significant responsibilities. One does not undertake these frivolously. Likewise, growing up and having the the watchful gaze and 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 sometimes um, provoking the ire of our parents and siblings and perhaps extended family who quote know what's best for us well we know what tension that can create and what's more it we're we're being tugged not just mind and heart but the heart starts playing into it because of our fear our need to be accepted our need to be loved our need for the people in our family to honor and respect our wishes Uh, we've got a question here. I see the channel description, but what's, oh, uh, okay. So this is from Twitch. Uh, I see the channel description, but what's the, your background? Why this topic? Um, this channel is a topic for self, for awakening the consciousness and self-realization, self-actualization. In other words, on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the very top of the pyramid, Maslow calls self-actualization, being all that we can be, being who we really are, being true to ourselves. That is the overarching 
uh, essence and core of this channel. And that's why tonight we're talking about the tension between heart and mind, because the mind can give us all sorts of reasons, good, logical, rational arguments to do things a certain way. And in fact, to do certain things which go against our intuition, which go against our gut, which go against the still soft voice whispering to us, our true self, our innermost. And we can sometimes be feel like we are being torn in two, especially where matters of practical survival are involved or practically getting along with family, uh, not being ostracized or indeed uh, excommunicated, if you will, from family, from community, from groups. And they're always giving us reasons why uh, we should do things a certain way. Okay, okay. Glad, glad you 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 got why why we're uh, why we're on topic. And and it's the same for many different authority figures in our life, and teachers, and professors, and and mentors, many of whom believe that their way is the right way, and that you need to follow their way in order to be successful in order to be happy and be well and and yeah and not make the mistakes that they made etc cetera, etc cetera. and again these individuals they're not they're not doing this out of any sort of malice or ill intent, they have the best of intentions. They really do believe they know what's best for us, and they really want what's best for us, at least theoretically, most of the time. But the fact of the matter is, what, what, they, what they do is they plant a kind of mind virus into us, and they start to get us to worry about our path and worry about our, our gut instinct and our intuition, which when it leads in a different direction than the one that they believe is best for us. This is when that tension between heart and mind really starts to pull. But, and uh, again, we will uh, share the uh, link. Uh, if anybody wants to jump on and share their stories or share their experiences or share their how they experience this pull between heart and mind and when when is it most acute and when is it most challenging and difficult for you? Because we've all experienced this in many, many, many different ways. Um, I can only share with you my experience, really, in any sort of meaningful way. Um, and my experience 
uh, a lot has to do with dealing with the fact that I'm here walking the path of the Bodhisattva. I'm here walking a path of suffering and sacrifice for humanity. And that is a path that my family didn't sign up for. Nobody else in my family signed up for that. And, um, and even though my parents, they recognized that they signed up for um, a path of suffering and sacrifice, a difficult path, a very difficult path, challenging path, a path of hard work, a path without any guarantees. Um, they had to escape communist Hungary. Literally had to escape over the Iron Curtain into Austria. And then eventually they they found their way to Canada where they didn't speak a word of English, neither of them. My father did an engineering degree in a language that he did not speak. To this day, his, his language, I mean, he's an engineer, he's an engineer and a designer. His, his mental acuities are visual and mathematical and spatial, right? And procedural. He has no, he has no um, feel for languages. That's, that was my mom. My mom had the feel for languages. And that's, that's where we get our affinity for language from and the arts in general. But our visual acuity, what, and spatial acuity and procedural acuity we get from our, from our father. In any case, they signed up for, and they were following a very prudent, very prudent, very, very, very down to earth, practical philosophy of an immigrant, a survival instinct to make money, to pay off the mortgage, to, to, to save money wherever possible and so on and so forth. Looking out for number one and taking care of one's family and, and shoring up one's financial security was always number one in their books. For us, on the path of the Bodhisattva, on the direct path, the path of suffering and sacrifice for humanity, the path of thinking of others, not just first, but always, did not, did not mesh well with that philosophy of, of our family. And people who are not attuned to a path of awakening and self-realization, they cannot grasp, they cannot comprehend someone who's on the path of the Bodhisattva.
they simply can't they, they simply can't process it they can't understand and people fear what they can't understand and as you know uh, people want to stamp out the the object of their fear and in addition anyone who suffers from fear in any reasonable way uh, end up having a control complex their fear is what drives their need to control and be in control and fearful parents they are those like those helicopter parents now my parents were not helicopter parents but but they 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 were afraid for me and my father is still afraid for me and fears for my future and fears for my survival and um, that fear drives their impotence to want to control i.e make decisions for us you may not have experienced anything like that you may have experienced the tug of heart mind in a different way so the link is on the screen if you want to join the discussion and and share what your experience is of being pulled in two directions your mind telling you something oh i should go out and get a job i should go out and um i should go out and get a job and make money and you know get married and you know uh buy a house and have my 2.5 kids and a two-car garage and and you know buy a cottage or 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 a condo in florida and you know travel for two weeks out of the year etc 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 your mind might be telling you all these things this is what i want or this is what i should do why because that's what everybody does that's the normal thing to do but perhaps your heart tells you something else perhaps you have dreams and visions and longings to go here do go there start a business write a book write music play music whatever the case may be but perhaps you've you ignore or or suppress or put all those longings and dreams and visions on the back burner because you got to be practical and you got to survive and you got to this and you got to do that and you've made your decision you want to be successful you want to be comfortable you want to have you want to have security financial security job security career security and so we we often have these two forces pulling us in in different directions and 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 many many different times in many many different ways dylan says would like to chime in if you could lend your advice since the topic arose i am reading the way of the bodhisattva discussing samsara and karma stating that there are ultimately no innocent victims goes on to explain buddhism teaches us that 
the object of compassion is simply suffering itself, which doesn't make sense to this initiate, proceeds to say that in samsara, there are no worthy objects, and in Shantideva, all beings at all times are worthy objects. It is a subtle change between Is there more is there more you're typing there Dylan should we wait for you to finish this thought or should we just begin responding That's why it's helpful if you're able to if you have a if you have a cell phone uh, it cut off hold on yeah no I, I I get that part so the thing about the chat is that you're limited in the chat of how much you can put into a single thing. So you have to break it up into, into paragraphs. Um, and that's why we, we're more than happy to share the link. And you're, you're more than welcome to pop on. Even if, it's, if, even if you have a cell phone, you can take the link and put it into your, um, put it into your cell phone, into the, your browser. And you can connect through StreamYards and you can use your, your, tele, your uh, smartphone's camera and, and microphone to participate in the chat. So anyway, so is this is is uh, the the subtle change between the two, and are we to forego a positive attributes, as well as ego, on the path? Okay. So on the path of the Bodhisattva, uh, uh, discussing samsara and karma, stating that there are ultimately no innocent victims. And, uh, and goes on to say that in the teachings that the objective, the objective of compassion is simply suffering itself, which doesn't make any sense to this initiative, proceeds to say that in samsara there are no worthy objects, and in Shantideva all beings at all times are worthy subjects. It is a subtle change between the two, and are we to forego of positive attributes as well as ego on the path? Okay. If we understand the question correctly, the reality is that we are, we are in hell. We are in samsara. And we are all afflicted by ego. And those of us who are asleep we don't know our true selves, we don't know our higher selves. We don't know who we really are. And all all those who are asleep act most of the time from ego. Even if there's somewhat intuition, even if there's someone somewhat intuitive they are able to tap into their source of inspiration, source of imagination. That, but this live stream expresses how even, even those of us who, who have a very strong connection with our innermost, we still feel this pull between the will of 
our being, the, the superior heart center and the superior mental center and the inferior centers. Because we still have ego, we still have fear, we still have our defects and vices and demons. When it comes to this issue that there are no innocent victims, this is a hard truth, but the expression of that truth is very difficult to make in today's day and age because political landscape and the social and philosophical landscape has made a, a virtue out of victimhood. And it has made a, um, an industry out of victimhood. Victimhood is a powerful strategy. It's a winning formula for political movements, popular uprisings, um, peaceful, nonviolent uh, civil disobedience. And the environmental movement, right? Greta Thunberg having her meltdown in front of the United Nations. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and, right? right. It's like, it's like she's basically telling the world that they have personally wronged her. They've stolen her future. They've, they, right? She's a victim. She's a victim of the world and she's pointing her finger, she's wagging her finger as she's wagging her tongue and giving everybody a tongue lashing because she's a victim. She's a victim. She's a 16-year-old victim on a global stage. So the leveraging of victimhood There's, on an individual level, on a personal basis, when someone is, you're trying to deal with someone and they pull that card, they play that card, that's that passive-aggressive gaslighting and toxicity where what they're trying to do at every turn is to make you into the villain so that they can maintain their winning strategy of playing victim. A victim is entitled. A victim is deserving. A victim is superior. Because, of course, anybody that turns anything, anybody, anybody that victimizes someone else is obviously morally reprehensible. This is a philosophy which has been pushed in the uh in the annals of universities particularly 
liberal arts degrees for how old are we now for you know well over a quarter of a century well over that because the original uh, lingu uh, linguistic the postmodernists the post-structuralists the postmodernists Michel Foucault Jacques Derrida the French postmodernists they were really starting in the in the 60s and 70s if we're not mistaken on that but by by the 90s when we when we made it to university that all of that was in full force and uh postmodernist deconstruction deconstructing the patriarchy deconstructing uh, po uh so post-colonialist post-colonial theory in other words and then there's feminist theory and all the other special interests and identity identity politics identity politics hinges on all this now the reality then is that all of these special interest groups and all of these individuals who are using their status of victimhood and or orchestrating or feigning their status of victimhood or orchestrating it by gaslighting and etc cetera, etc cetera, clearly none of those individuals are innocent but to talk this way to them directly or about them in this way on a public forum in mainstream media for example uh is to is to invite a level of uh anger and hatred and spite because again we end up with how dare you how dare you and then then come the labels you're just a misogynist and a racist and a sexist and a homophobe and a and a insert label here it's the easiest way for someone to dismiss the truth and dismiss the person speaking the truth is to label them to judge and label them abc xyz i don't have to listen to you anymore because you're not socially acceptable you're not politically correct and if you're not politically correct you're politically irrelevant but from a from a karmic point of view no 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 victim is truly uh innocent even the law of accidents if you want to call yourself a victim of an accident the law of accidents come into play and there are bad things do happen to good people it's we've all experienced that for no particular reason someone was in the wrong place at the wrong time accidents don't necessarily happen to us because we deserve them but 
the law of accidents does come into play and we can accrue a karmic benefit. We can learn something from all of our, all of our misfortunes. And even though an accident might not happen to us because of our karma, that doesn't mean that we're free of karma. No, we have other karma. On the issue of compassion is simply suffering itself. They are... Um, One must, be, one must meditate on that to comprehend what they mean when they say that, the Buddhists. And the reason why is because all suffering is manifest as desire. And to Buddhists, the antidote for suffering, the antidote for desire is compassion. Because desiring is what you want or what you don't want. Compassion is wanting what's best for others. Not being concerned with oneself. So by enduring suffering and not being concerned about what suffering we endure, we are, as a matter of course, as we endure suffering, we are going to be cultivating compassion, beginning with compassion for ourselves. But compassion, there's no getting around it. Compassion is love. And love is severity and mercy in balanced measure, applied unconditionally with infinite wisdom. We're going to sound like a broken record as many times as we've said that. But it's worthwhile repeating. All right. Dylan says, aha, there it is, the light switch. Complete and utter sense. This is where um, yeah, so we were talking about that before and then, oh yes, we were talking about the victims and the SJWs and the victim mentality and oh, we brought that in because of your question. So prior to that, well, let's let's just move on. Little things. We were talking about the whole practical thing and, and following what our mind says is success versus following the crazy dreams, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Well, again, we come into that soliloquy by Hamlet, Act 3. To be or not to be? That is the question. 
whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take up arms against a sea of troubles and by avoiding end them to die to sleep no more etc etc now just following up on dylan's question in that aspect of buddhism where they were saying that suffering itself is compassion it's interesting shakespeare's use of or sir francis bacon's use of the word to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune you see walking the path is suffering following your heart listening to your heart and taking to heart what your heart what the still soft voice says what the still soft voice tells us to do what our intuition our inspiration our imagination following through on that that is suffering why because we have no idea what the results are going to be and we have no idea what the slings and arrows and what outrageous fortune awaits us down that path. And what suffering awaits us down that path. Because anybody that has followed their bliss, as Joseph Campbell said, as Joseph Campbell called it, uh, described it, follow your bliss yes you are at bliss when you're doing what you love when you're doing what you were born to do yes you are in your element you're in the zone you're 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 but let's not be naive still not that doesn't make it easy it doesn't make it any easier it just makes it all the more compelling and it just makes it all the more honorable and noble and satisfying that we take the good with the bad and we're willing to suffer we're willing to endure we're willing to take the slings and arrows and the outrageous fortune what come what may we charge forward come what may this is passion the passion of the christ that which we are willing to suffer and die for. And if what we are doing through our suffering is paying karma, strengthening our will, our connection to the, the source of that passion, and recognizing that which is standing in the way that's causing that suffering within us and comprehending and overcoming and eliminating 
those egos that are standing between us and our destiny and that are obstructing the path to our true self. The, not just our true self's path, but the path that leads us to where our true self longs to be. Then the side effect, the result of all of, of those causes will be we will develop an incredibly deep and powerful compassion for others. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, true art, high art, is for the benefit of others. Our work, that which we are willing to suffer and die for, our reason for being must make some contribution to the world in, in whatever way to our family, our friends, our community, our, our family, our friends, our neighborhood, our community, our city, our nation, the planet. Somehow, some, and, and perhaps it's just the contribution is just to our company. Perhaps it's to a company. But somehow, somewhere, our calling, that higher calling, and that which we are willing to suffer and die for, that mission, that, that in our heart, that burning, is for the benefit of others must be it's serendipitous in fact that um, we are working on a, uh, a video and there is a quotation that uh, we want to read to you now um, uh, because this will appear in a um, you're getting a sneak preview this will appear in, our, in an upcoming uh, short video, very short video, just for um, Facebook and um, and um, uh, what do you call it? Instagram. Oh, and we started a Twitter account. Now we hate Twitter. I really hate Twitter. I mean, it's it's not a disdain. It's not even a dislike. It's a downright hatred of Twitter. But uh, if it's going to help gain, you know, help us with exposure and help us attract followers or whatever then you know it's one of these i don't know a necessary evil perhaps uh, you know what we're gonna we're not gonna spend a lot of time or energy on it but if it's another avenue for for distributing then then um where we'll do we'll do that but let's uh let's read this quote i know many brethren who fight indescribably to correct their defects and to purify themselves yet they do not remember others they feel alone they fight for their own spiritual progress and for their moral self-development however they do not remember 
that they have brothers and sisters and that all of us are children of the same mother. Their spirituality is selfish spirituality. Therefore, the masters do not owe them anything. There is nothing to pay them because nothing is owed to them. They do not assist anyone. They do not sacrifice themselves for anyone, nor do they fight for the spirituality of anyone. Every initiation is a payment that must be given to the human being. Yet, if nothing is owed to the human being, then nothing is given to him. Therefore, even if he screams and cries out for an initiation, he will become old before receiving it. These are the words of Samael Weor from his book, Igneous Rose. And Igneous Rose, the burning rose, that's, that's Christ. That's the rose on the cross. The Christ who burns with the suffering and burns with the passion of the Christ. Jesus, is, Jesus did that cosmic drama here for this humanity because <clears throat> that cosmic drama embodies so viscerally and so with such intensity and with such vigor and fervor and dedication, devotion, commitment. And he accrued so much karmic credits that he was able to negotiate a new set of rules for this humanity when it comes to this humanity's karma. We've discussed those in a past live stream. The ability to negotiate karma and the ability for some karma to be forgiven. So when the Catholics say that Jesus died for our sins, yes, Jesus died for our sins. He didn't pay off all our karma completely, but his passion, devotion, dedication, and the intensity with which he fulfilled his duty to become the living Christ and what he had to do to get there and what he was able to do afterwards as the Christ. The teachings that he gave and the abilities that he bestowed upon his apostles through those teachings, but also through techniques and also through powers. Because one of the aspects of the New Testament in the Bible is that it's, 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 it's all jumbled up. It's all written in the wrong order. When Constantine redacted all of the Gnostic Gospels, all the Gospels written by actual apostles in the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Judas. Um, 
he and he all and he when he picked the four gospels matthew mark luke and john he reordered the stories he reordered jesus's life so that to fit this narrative that he wanted to tell and what we have in the traditional bible is a version where Jesus is crucified, he resurrects, he meets with his disciples, he has the, the, um, the exchange with Doubting Thomas, and then shortly after that, oh, he, has, he names Peter the head of his church, and then shortly after that, he ascends into heaven. But that's not how it was. Jesus walked the earth for many, many, many years after, after the resurrection. And there's a good chance that he walked a very long journey. And also, the 33 years of Jesus is a, a symbolic number. It's related to 33 vertebrae. He was not 33 years old when he died, when he was crucified and ascended in heaven. It's not 33. Impossible. He was crucified as an older man, at least in his 50s, at least. And he walked the earth teaching well I mean well into his 80s we don't have the exact figures but he was a wise old man and many of the miracles and many of the uh, like raising Lazarus from the dead and so on and so forth many of these miracles he performed as the living Christ as a Christified master, as a as a, a risen, resurrected master. What relevance does this have to tonight's topic? Well, because in this case, we have again a tension between mind and heart. Either we want to believe what we believe about Jesus and what we believe about the current story and the way it's told, or perhaps we have emotional attachments to that story the way it is. Our upbringing, the way we were taught, the, the way we were uh, conditioned to believe in the nature of the Christ. And the story of the crucifixion and the resurrection and what it all means. Or, could be the reverse, that now you're hearing these and you're saying to yourself, yeah, you know, that makes sense. That actually makes sense that the guy, you know, walks on water and heals the sick and raises the dead only after he's, he's embodied the Christ and he has the power of the Logos at his disposal. Now, that kind of makes sense. 
someone who's still on the path. And it also makes sense that he's not 33 years old because how many 33-year-olds do you know of who can raise the dead? We'll hazard a guess here that, that not even all of those Reiki healers and spiritual healers who are working with the archangels and charging people for healing and remote healing and everything else, none of them can raise the dead. We're willing to bet just about anything on that. So the level at which Jesus would have had to have been was already very high to begin with. Don't, don't, you know, don't misunderstand us. But at the same time, uh, many of his greater miracles are the Bible, the way it's written, the Bible, the way it's been handed down to us is, is, is a work. It's not a work of fiction. It's just heavily edited. It's edited for effect and the, the desired political effect that Constantine wanted to have and the mythos and the, the way in which he wanted the church and the Pope and the, and the, uh, the, 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 the papacy to, to, to be in the forefront there. Again, you have a situation where you have desire, you have, you have the uh, inf desires of the inferior heart center of Constantine, taking pr and, and then his, his, intel his intellect, his mind, coming in and cleverly rearranging uh, the Bible and throwing out a whole bunch of uh, texts uh, and scri scriptures from the Bible in order for it to fit what he wants what's going to be successful for him in terms of empire building or co co empire cohesion. That is, is, is not in sync with, with the truth that he would have been, his conscience would have been whispering to him. Now, how awake he was or we don't know benjamin raphael says the ancient gnostics realized that we are in samsara and we start our life being full of egos that is why they encoded the divine wisdom to awaken the divine spark within us as if they are speaking to the ego personality but the heart of man connects to the divine wisdom within the scriptures left by the Gnostics. That's why I love your topics about the ego and how to dissolve them, because I think the ego is the veil between the animal and the divine nature. Uh, first of all, you're, you're correct. Secondly, the ego is not just the veil between animal and divine nature. 
the ego works for for animal nature the egos plural work they animal nature doesn't work without the egos right even the three gunas that we just that we discussed last week the nature of nature right uh, 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 sattva rajas and tamas even the three gunas even though we have that dynamic of yes of harmony of 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 action of passion and of of um of inertia of stagnation the egos are the ones who set us into and keep us trapped in the the two lesser or lower gunas think about it in these terms when you look at animals in nature the egos dictate and determine their behavior lions are hungry they have to they have to feed they have to eat they have to chase down they have to stalk and then chase down their prey that prey has to keep an eye out for those lions and when the lions attack They do so with rage, with ferocity. And that vibe gets picked up by the prey, who then enter into flight mode in the case of lions. If it's two lions or lions and jackals or lions and um, a lion and a, uh, a honey badger or something, the the other animal like the honey badger the, the honey badger doesn't have a strong flight instinct it has a very strong fight instinct honey badgers have been known to not back down from just about anything and as a result honey badgers have been known to to die be eaten by lions because they're foolish enough to think that they can they can actually take down a lion however however lions aren't stupid <laughs> And lions aren't particularly, what's the word? Lions are cats, right? Let's be, let's be clear. Lions are cats. And cats aren't, shall we say, mm, the most dogged of creatures, right? If you have a dog, you know what we mean by that. Like that, the, the, the term to go after something doggedly, right? To, to have a dogged nature. Like dogs will bark for hours, Right. And, and dogs will dig holes and, and, and like just obsessively pursue something. And they will, dogs will die trying. Right. A cat won't do that. A cat won't die trying to get at a mouse. It, just, it won't. No, a, a cat will play with a mouse, but the cat's playing. The cat's playing. The cat will play with a mouse, but the cat won't. Oh, I don't know. Play fetch. 
You don't see cats jumping into icy cold water, swimming out to, to grab a stick or a frisbee that their owner threw for them and then come back and then put it down his feet and throw it again, throw it again, throw it again, right? Like that's a dog. That's dog behavior. So if a badger stands up to a lion, there's a very good chance the lion's going to say, I don't need this trouble and just walk away. Because a lion knows that a honey badger can take out an eye or a honey badger can do some serious damage. Even if, even if the honey badger ultimately loses the fight, right? But the honey badger is not going to go down without a fight. And that's the point. So, but why we're mentioning all this is that all of this behavior is mechanical and is being triggered between these animals by their respective egos. You have fear expressing at, at, at like fight or flight, right? And then you have anger and hunger, which is gluttony, right? Gluttony controls our hunger pangs. And then there's greed and pride. There's a reason why lions are called live in prides. Greed and pride determine the hierarchical social structure and the, the dominant males um, facing off against one another to, for, to determine absolute dominance and the right to, uh, to, to the first pick of the food and the first pick of the alpha females when it comes to mating season. The alpha, that's what the alpha male has. The strongest, healthiest lion, male lion, is the one who gets to breed the most and what's and the one who gets to eat first. Because, and he's also the one who's first out in front of the pride to defend it against other males or other animals. That's That's his job. That's... And that, interestingly enough, you see that same behavior in medieval times by the nobility in, in Europe, in the Dark Ages, and in the Middle Ages, where they basically say, well, I'm a knight, okay, that means I've been trained in combat, I'm a nobleman, I have a garrison, I have soldiers, I have arms and armaments, and I have been trained in, in war, in man-to-man -man combat, in horseback combat, uh, possibly even in engineering, in, in war engineering. So the nobleman is able to say to the peasants, the peasantry, you get the benefit of my protection and all you have to do is pay me these taxes. And in many cases, when you have your virgin daughters reach a certain age, um, I want first crack at them, right? That's even that they even uh, um, uh, dramatize that in uh, Braveheart, right? They call it prima notte. Prima notte. Uh, prima notte. Um, uh, first, first night, 
for the noble to to have the option of of basically breeding first first crack at breeding uh uh women that are well at that time young girls really who reached basically when young girls reached puberty in medieval times they were considered marriageable so and and now in no small part that's also lust like let's not kid ourselves also lust but pride and greed and fear play a big role in the policy making of that and all of that those egos just as in those intellectual animals in their in their complex social system their system of control um that that it ha works the same way in 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 the lion pride the difference being of course is that animals are innocent they're animals that at their level of nature at their level of being it's appropriate for them to behave that way because they are animals they're innocent their monads are like little children and their monads are, are in the fourth dimension. Most of the time, the elemental spirits of the animals are playing, are frolicking, are, are in Eden because they're innocent. They're not yet fallen. They're not yet riddled with, with the egos that they have are appropriate and necessary to manage and control the behavior of those animals the day-to-day -day behavior and to the integration with the ecosystem, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So are egos the veil between animal and divine nature? No, the veil between animal and divine nature in us the veil is created by the egos. For example, the first veil they create is that there is no an, there is no animal and divine nature. That it's just nature. That's the first, and that's not is that is that really a veil? that is a veil because it's veiling divine nature. It's just, but it's also a misdirection, right? A distraction, hypnosis. That's the veil, hypnosis that causes ignorance. And so, and yes, the egos cause that, but really it's our identification and attachment that causes us to, uh, to become ignorant. Um, we've hit the two hour mark and I'll be honest with everyone. I'm not feeling a hundred percent right now. So if we're just wondering, is there more for us to say on this pull between mind and heart? Does anybody have any questions or want to, uh, would like us to elaborate on something or, or maybe, maybe what we need to do is say, well, how do you. 
how do you deal with, how do you cope with that tension and when you're being pulled? And the answer is to observe it. Self-observation, self-remembering, and to not fall into the trap of beating ourselves up over it. Ultimately, we have the choice. And nobody can make the choice for us but ourselves. And if we've already made a choice in our life, and maybe we chose the safe and secure path to so-called success, and maybe we still have some kind of a lingering longing or something that's pulling us in a different direction, we have to put on balance, you know, just just what we're going to be giving up and just what sort of sacrifice and and what kind of stress and suffering that we might cause the people around us if we just suddenly dropped everything and started pursuing our heart and our heart's longing we have to be practical and realistic like there may be a way if we've spent our entire life appeasing the mind and trying to be prudent and right and 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 practical from a from a materialistic point of view now all of a sudden we listen to a live stream like this you start listening to to uh live streams like the ones we talk about and following our true self and becoming our true self, achieving self-actualization. And all of a sudden we went, oh my God, I've made all the wrong decisions in my life. I've done the wrong thing. Well, maybe yes, maybe no. You did what you had to do. You did what you felt was right. You did what you thought was right at the time. Now, does that mean that you should go on doing that the same way and keep ignoring your true self, your higher self, and your true calling? No. But it also doesn't mean that you have to drop everything like a bad habit and, and, and leave the village and burn the bridge behind you. No. It doesn't necessarily mean that. It might mean that. It could mean that. Many men have awoken at the age of 42 and they have what people euphemistically refer, refer to as a midlife crisis. They wake up and they realize, I don't love my wife. I hate my job. I, I can't stand the house that I'm living in. Nothing, nothing feels right anymore. All of it's just my entire life. It just feels like I'm living a lie. Now, the cliche about midlife crises is that these men go out and they buy a sports car or a motorcycle or a boat or they have an affair or, or I mean, or they, they go on a, uh, uh, some kind of a two-week bender at, at in at in Las Vegas or 
in some uh, one of these um, all-inclusive sex resorts or something, right? That's the that's the cliche reaction to individuals who have this moment of awakening and all of a sudden they realize that their their entire life is completely dissatisfying to them. So what so what do they do? They they go and they say they try to do something that's that's finally going to satisfy them. But of course, they do the wrong thing. Because no sports car and no affair and no bender, two week bender in uh, Las Vegas obviously is going to satisfy the longing in your heart, which you've awakened to, that that awoke you to the fact that everything around you is a lie and everything around you is, is nothing satisfies you. That moment of clarity is trying to lead you down a path. And that path may lead you away from that house, away from that woman that you don't love, away from the from the kids even or you might say well you know what what would really satisfy me what would really fulfill me is i've always wanted to write this book or i've always wanted to make music or i've always wanted to do you know maybe maybe you can do that within the context of continuing your life in your family Maybe you can say to yourself, you know, I'm going to start pursuing this on the side. I'm going to start recording music and just putting it on YouTube. I mean, it's what you want to do. If what you long to do is be an artist, a performer, you can perform on YouTube and start slowly building an audience. And by the time your kids are old enough, to go to university, go off to college or whatever. Well, you know, maybe, maybe then you can, you've got enough followers, you've got enough clout that maybe, and maybe you've got enough music that you can get a record deal or you can start playing in clubs or you can start going on a, on a, a tour of your state or whatever. And if it's, and if your relationship with your spouse is amicable and it's not it's not hateful it's not spiteful you, you guys you're not you're not trying to kill each other at every turn it's not some it's not like, it's not that you hate your spouse so it may be that you have that you can have that crisis of vocation you can have that 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 awakening or that midlife crisis whatever you want to call it um and maybe you can you can shift gears and you can start keeping into that path without blowing everything up. But sometimes you do you do just have to walk away from everything. It's really that's that's for each and every other individual to to determine for themselves. Benjamin says, "Thank you for all of that information. I've listened to lots of gurus and masters online, but the knowledge you're sharing is very practical and original. More power to you, sir." deserves to be condensed in a book format. Um, we're working on it. And the first book, though, is going to be about fear. And believe me, we're going to touch on a lot of these practical things because fear touches everything. 
the reason why you're having that that vocational crisis, right? Or the reason why somebody has a midlife crisis? Because they have fear. Because they chose a life of comfort and security over their true longing. The desire for comfort and security is fear. So we're going to be touching on all of these, these facets of, of life but we're, it's all going to be pointing, pointing back to the cause, the root cause of it all. And let's be clear. If you are being pulled somewhere else and you are being pulled to walk away, just put the key in the lock, turn it, and, and walk away and never look back, What's preventing you from doing that is going to be your fear. Now, here's where it gets dicey. Because your mind is going to be telling you and rationalizing you that you have responsibilities. That you owe it to your family to stick it out. That you that you have responsibilities, that you're the head of the household, that you're the the you know, whatever. You have to put you have to put food on the table, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can't just walk away. That's being completely irresponsible. That's being completely selfish. What about your kids? What about your spouse? So here is that being pulled in two directions by the mind and, and the heart. But but you really, really, really have to go deep into all those rationalizations and. And make sure that those rationalizations aren't just that. Rationalizations, justifications, and excuses not to pursue what you came here to do in this life. Excuses to remain in tamas, stuck, stagnant not going anywhere, not following your passion. If you have small children, if you are the primary breadwinner, if walking away from it all would, would, would cause them a great deal of suffering, you can't bring it upon yourself to allow that to happen. Okay, so again, how can you begin walking your path in parallel with the path that you're already on. And how can you compromise between those two things? Because between the mind and the heart, if they're being pulled in different directions, sometimes, I mean, let's be real, let's be practical. We do have to eat. We do need a roof over our head. We have to be practical. We're always talking about practical spirituality, and we're all and, and so we can't be hypocritical about that. In our case, the compromise comes down to the fact that we need relatively very little, right? And the compromise that we 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 didn't get married. 
right? We 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 didn't we didn't we stopped dating. We stopped internet dating. We stopped pursuing these relationships at all costs, like to not be alone at all costs. And why? Because we we knew that if we attracted someone into our life on that basis, then what was going to come along with that is the desire for children, the desire for all these other things, and that, that, that their biological clock would be ticking and all this pressure and tension and stress to go and get that house and the mortgage and the kids and the two point and the two car garage and the, all the success, right? The worldly success. <clears throat> well, we have none of that worldly success at this moment and therefore we have nothing to lose. A couple more chats here. Let's get to Ccat says, would you agree with Alan Watts in that it's important to realize our karma is just, is just, us being and what we create as we are being we are one with the universe we balance okay so i'm trying to understand what exactly you're asking here um let's let's read this again would you agree with alan watts in that it's important to realize our karma is just us being and what we create as we are being we are one with the universe we balance That's an oversimplification. That's an oversimplification. It's true in the purest sense, but it's untrue in the practical, meaningful sense. That karma is a manifestation of our egos. Karma is cause and effect. That's what karma means. That's all it means is cause and effect. And you can say that karma is just our being and what we create as our being. And it's true. Because our being as an individuated essence of the Logos and the Lords of Karma manage Karma. The Lords of Karma are also part of that Logos. And our individual Divine Mother orchestrates that for us. And she's an aspect of our innermost being. So therefore, the Karma we are, experienced, are experiencing are managed by the Logos and orchestrated and and distributed, um, doled out to us, right? Fed, fed to us by our divine mother. Those are like the breadcrumbs on the, on the trail, right? The mana, the mana from heaven, the breadcrumbs through the dark wood. But, but let us not forget that we have a level of being the more karma we're paying, the more karma we're suffering, the more suffering we have, egos are the cause of all suffering. It's our egos, and egos are created by our 
mistakes cause and effect. It's just a chain of cause and effect and cause and effect. Every effect is a cause for another effect, which is a cause for another effect. It's cause and effect. Cause and effect together. You can understand that as the Tao. Severity and mercy. In those three gunas, there's sattva and there's tamas. And in the middle, there's action, passion. And is the passion working for sattva in a sattvic way? Or is the passion and action working in a tamasic way? The nature of nature. So it's not enough to say what Alan Watts says there and say, yeah, yeah, I, I, be, I believe in that. Because that's another superficial, you know, 80,000 foot pass over the landscape. It's not, it's not down to earth on the ground meat and potatoes, nuts and bolts, practical. No, that's not what karma is. It is that, but it isn't just that. And it's that's why we're here to be practical and to go under the hood and see what's really going on. This is what people like you know, Alan Watts and all, um, so many of the other gurus, like even Benjamin mentioned, he's listened to many of these online gurus talk and they talk in these beautiful, you know, wonderful ways, but it's vague. It's this cloudy mist of stuff, right? And it's, and it's vague and it's, it's like, because Because, of course, it's more, um, entertaining, it's more impressive, and it, it's more cliched, it's, it's, it, it, we do not talk like any of those gurus. To the best of our knowledge anyway. Right? And we're certainly not trying to talk like any of them. And we're certainly not trying to, you know, uh, put on airs, if you will. Not to say that all of them do that. But you know what I'm getting at. Um, let's let's take another uh, chat here. Uh, the heart plays a melody and the mind the lyrics. If you're not listening with your heart, you can't hear it. Our thought must be harmonious with the heart. As you say, the wise men bring the gifts, must be in tune to offer them to the highest. I, I, you know what? That's a beautiful um, analogy. The heart uh, plays the music and the mind sings the lyrics. Um, so in that sense, we can, because we, we've discussed this tonight, there's a superior mental center and an inferior mental center, and there's a superior heart center and an inferior heart center. When the heart mind are as one, 
That's what Buddhism calls it, by the way, heart-mind. Then we're working out of the superior heart center under the tutelage, the auspices, and the guidance of the being. And yes, then our heart sings. Our heart glows. And the the knowledge, the information we need, it becomes, we become informed. And as we are informed, we can now then transfer that information into and bring into form the music which is in our heart, which is in our heart. So, put another way, the heart sings, the mind transcribes, the mind knows how to write music notation. And if we listen to, to our heart, and we can hear the music, then, and if our mind is aligned and in tune with that music, then we will be able to do as Mozart did, just take dictation. That analogy, though, of music and transcribing the notes using the mind, in order to bring them into form, because now the music in the heart is now on a page. Now we have sheet music. We can give that sheet music to someone and they can look at it. Depending on how skilled a musician are, they are if they can sight read and play just the first time without then all of a sudden the music that was in our heart is now exists it's been brought into form we have informed the world with the music that was in our heart this is this is when the mind and the heart are are aligned and are in harmony. So when the mind is in the service of the being, the mind is a powerful tool. It's a necessary tool. Same with the body. Because remember, if you brought up the three wise men, the three kings who bring their gifts, heart, mind, body. So how does that work? Well, on Wednesday, we talked about many practices, including runes, meditation, the rites of rejuvenation, white tantra, sexual alchemy. Surely we recognize the importance, the absolute necessary requirement of the physical body in the practice of white tantra. 
So, again, bringing that into alignment, why did we cover the prayers, the mantralization, the breathing, the visualization, the incense, the roses, the candles, all of that to create a space to bring into formation around us and inform the body, inform ourselves, our mind, our heart, and our body with the metaphysical art and science of transmutation, of transmuting the lead of ego into the gold of the human soul and the art and science of literally making love. To make love. But how can love be made? What can love be made into? Love must first inform us, must come into our form. Why is this channel and everything we do focused around this brand called Atlas in the formation. Because, because Atlas is in, the pro, in process, right? On the, still on the path of the Bodhisattva. But also because the goal, the point, the work is to embody and to bring into form through ourselves. We are the vessel, the vehicle, the temple to inform us so that we can inform others. Inform for the sake of others. Which brings us back to the quote that we shared earlier from Igneous Rose, right? About doing things for the sake of others on the path. Uh, Dylan says, we don't say it a lot, but you're doing a good job. Keep going. We're going to keep going and we're only going to be ramping up and expanding uh, what we do and how we do it again because of the uh, we've we've discussed why that is um, it's but it's time to you know our preparation period for it is 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 now over we have to really start ramping everything up now but thank you for the kind words thank you for the appreciation we do our best and we're going to continue doing it see cat we do create our reality though we are also gods, he said. Everything is cause and effect. Thank you for your thoughts on it. I know it's more complicated than that, but simplicity of understanding all of this is quite attractive to me, admittedly. Laugh out loud. I just know I will always be trying to do the right things in life, but know I will sometimes fail. I was taught for so long by some in my old church to be just like Christ, but no one is perfect. We are not all white and light. The only uh, lev something balance is so necessary for me. Okay. 
let's start with the uh, the first statement. We do create our reality, though. Who is the we in that sentence? You have to you have to answer that for yourself. Who's creating your reality and why? And we're assuming you mean Alan Watts here when when uh, when you say we are also gods. He said. Okay. I don't give a rat's ass what Alan Watts said. Because no, we are not gods. Are you a god? Really? Can you bring people back from the dead? Can you walk on water? Can you fly? Can you do that? I can't. That's why we... That's... Okay, you said Jesus said that. Show me the passage where Jesus says that we're all gods. You're going to have to show me that passage. Because I recall Jesus saying we're all God's children. And or we all are God's in potentiality. But nowhere, nowhere have I ever seen or read or heard a reference where Jesus said that we are all gods, because it's not true. So Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, I have said, you are gods? Okay, so I stand corrected. So Jesus said something to that effect. I have not said yet are also gods. Wait, wait, wait. So Seacat says, have I not have I not have I not said yet are also gods and can do even greater things than I? I I don't I don't know about that passage. That doesn't make any sense grammatically. Have I not said ye, ye are also gods and can do even greater things than I? Yeah, but it's not true. It's not true. Those, those statements, I don't care if they're in the Bible and I don't care how they've been written. They're not true. They're simply not true. You can prove it to yourself. You can prove it to yourself. You cannot do any of the things that Jesus did. This is, the, this is the problem, right? We don't know if any of these translations are faithful. I'm telling you that regardless of what they claim Jesus said and what they, or how that was translated, because it's not, it's factually not true. What is a God? First of all, we need to define that. What is a God? And by any, any, uh, and Seacat says, I obviously can't type like a God. You and me, you and me both. So don't, don't, I'm not like, I'm never going to get on anybody's case for typos and whatnot because I'm, I'm, I'm the worst. Um, so look, the facts are the facts. Okay, Jesus, who embodied the Logos, 
okay? So if there was anybody that ever came closest to being a god, well, let's consider it the guy who endured the crucifixion and died and resurrected and then walked on water and raised people from the dead and so on and so forth, right? Can any of us do any of that? If the answer is no, then no, we are not greater than Jesus. None of us are masters. None of us are resurrected masters. We would know. We would know if we were, right? You would know if you were. Now, people throw out this thing, oh, yeah, but there's the forgetting and you don't know who you really are and blah, 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 blah. If it, if we are here and we are suffering and we are going with ego and we're doing whatever we're facing and so on and so forth, we still have work to do. And there are levels and levels and levels and levels and levels. Okay? So who are gods? Gods are, oh, I don't know, for example, like Melchizedek who is the innermost being of this planet. He is the Atman of the monad of this planet. The sun is the physical body of a cosmo creator. That is a being who now, in the Mahamanvantara, the great cosmic day, comes and manifests as a planet. And not just a planet, but the planet that's at the center of a solar system. A planet that actually happens to, on the surface of the sun, it's what, I don't know how many thousands of degrees it is. It's okay, because all the beings on that planet are all fourth dimensional. So they don't have to deal with any heat. They don't have to deal with any physicality, right? Because they're in the fourth dimension. So there's So all the beings on a planet, on a sun... On the body of a sun, there it's all four-dimensional. The, the the physical embodiment of that planet, or they have or they have a, a very fine, very um, uh, subtle bodies, and they actually have elemental bodies that burn in the fires. But that's that's their normal. That's their that's their natural environment for those beings, and that humanity that lives on the surface of the sun. Seacat says, no, but with faith, blah, 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 we have power within to move metaphorical mountains. Really kind of metaphorical, the whole thing, I believe. Okay, so again, it all comes down to what's your definition of a god? So let me put it this way. Is a seed a giant sequoia? I'm going to wait for somebody to answer that question. Is a seed a giant sequoia? Yes or no? Objectively, practically. Someone needs to answer that question. Because there's your answer. Okay. Correct. I could ask it the same way. Is a sperm a human being? Is an ovum a human being? Is an egg 
a chicken? The answer to these, like the seed, the answer is no. But they are in potentiality. They have the potential to become. They have the potential to grow into. But as you know, because we are on the path, we are walking the path, as we know from our own self-evident experiential knowledge, a lot can happen on that path that blocks us, that prevents us from becoming our potential. Benjamin says they have all the information in their DNA. Of course they do. Of course. But information, DNA is information, but it's not yet informed. It, it has not yet informed the body of the being. So the sperm has the information, the ovum has the information, but it's just it's just a single cell, the ovum. It's just an egg. So the information is in it, but it's it has not yet been informed. It's information. Information. Information is a verb. Informed is an adjective. The answer is the egg, as always, been the chicken. The sperm has always been the human. It just is and has always been. No, that's incorrect. How can you say that? How can you objectively say that? An egg cannot cluck. It cannot move around. It does not eat. It does not sleep. An egg is not a chicken. Objectively, it is not a chicken. The two things are different. Period. It doesn't matter how it doesn't matter how you rationalize this in your mind. It's not true. It is not true. If you go to a restaurant, if you go to a restaurant and ask for chicken wings, and they if you ask for a dozen chicken wings, and instead of a dozen chicken wings, they bring you a dozen hard-boiled eggs coated in buffalo sauce. Are you going to send it back? Are you going to eat it? Eat a dozen hard-boiled eggs coated in buffalo sauce, telling yourself that you're eating chicken wings, right? And expecting your perception to make it a reality. This is the level of practicality that we're speaking of here. And the level of utter brainwashing which has done which the new age has committed on people because on some ultimate level on some ultimate ultimate level right if we go all the way to the world of archetypes 
But even in the world of archetypes, even in the world of archetypes, there's the archetype of the bird and the archetype of the egg. Even in the, uh, the world of archetypes, which is, which is the zero dimension, okay? The, the first dimension of manifestation. It's the zero dimension because there's no, there's no substance to it at all. Everything is just, in essence, the un, unformed essence of form. But even there, the archetype of the hero and the archetype of the villain are two different archetypes. They are not the same thing. They are not the same thing. If you go beyond, if you go into the Tao, you can say everything is ultimately an expression of the Tao. That's what you can say. But that does not make a chicken an egg. That is just stupid. And it's stupid is what it is. It's ignorant of the facts. But the new age wants to conflate everything and say, no, 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 we don't, we can't have duality and we can't have separation. Everything is the same and everybody is the same. And everything and every, everything and everyone is the same. So a sperm is a human being. This is, you can't say that it's 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 a matter of perception. It's not a matter of perception because perception lies. There is something called hypnosis and ignorance. There are people who go through life. Believing, for example, that they are something other than, than they believe that they are something which they are not. And they are objectively not that thing. How many pe- Do you know how many people believe that they're awake? That they believe that they're masters? And they're wholly absorbed by ego, by mystic pride? Facebook is filled with these people. Filled with them. They're, they're members of the Black Lodge. They are wholly uh, consumed by and they're useful idiots of the Black Lodge. But they believe that they're ascended masters. Their perception has been clouded. Their perception has been uh, twisted and corrupted and influenced so no we are not all gods and no a chicken is not an egg and no a seed is not a giant sequoia and to bring it back to benjamin's point about the seed the seed fell from the tree The seed might even be made up of the stuff of trees. The seed contains tree DNA. But any obvious, rational, logical, practical experience tells us the self-evident experiential knowledge of the facts are the seed is not yet a tree. 
It has the potential to be a tree, no question. Nobody's arguing that. But potential to be and being are two different things. We can bring it back to uh, David, Michelangelo's David. Now, when people say, "How did you? How did you? How did you carve that? How did you do that? How did you create that?" Because if, you, if you've ever been to Florence, if you've ever seen David, you know that David is eighteen feet tall. I'm six three, which is pretty tall. I'm no NBA basketball player tall, but but six three is is pretty tall, six foot over six foot. So just imagine three over six feet tall that's how tall david is three times taller than an than an over average tall person and they asked him how did you how did you do it and michelangelo said well david was already in there the angel was already there. All I did, all I had to do is chip away the excess and set the and set the angel free. Now, a new age perception of that statement and that action is, oh, you see? That block of marble already was David. Michelangelo himself said that the block of marble already was David. All he had to do is set David free from the block of marble. Oh, really? That's, you know, that's the, it's one thing for an artist to be humble and to express a kind of modesty and to express in his own way how he was following the guidance and the will of his innermost being to create this absolute incredible expression of beauty that was waiting there inside the marble in potentiality. But if Michelangelo had not chipped away the excess, if Michelangelo had not broken the bonds, the cage, the prison of that marble block, which trapped the angel, the David, inside, if Michelangelo had not spent the hours and weeks and months helping the angel, David, to break free from that bondage. Would the angel be free? Number one. And number two, would Michelangelo be the master sculptor that he was? Or would he just be a, 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 a lazy, self-deluded wannabe? If we do not do the work, 
if we do not suffer, if we do not make the effort, if we do not break free of the bonds, the chains, the prison, trapping our innermost being inside. And, and our innermost being is just an essence, just a seed of the Logos. And in order for a seed to be born, to sprout, the seed must die. This is how you know for a fact that the seed is not the tree. The tree is born, the little sprout, the little sapling is born only if the seed dies. That is a fact. A butterfly is born not of a caterpillar. The butterfly is born from the chrysalis. What is the chrysalis? The chrysalis is that in-between form between the caterpillar and the butterfly that consumes the caterpillar and then dies and gives birth to the butterfly all inside the, the, the cocoon. So the, uh, the caterpillar weaves, uh, weaves the, the, the cocoon. And then it transmutes, it mutates, transmutes into, it begins transmuting into the chrysalis and the chrysalis consumes the caterpillar. It is now different. The caterpillar no longer exists. It's now the chrysalis. And then out of the chrysalis is born the butterfly or the moth or what have you, because it's the same process. Just as the sperm and the ovum when the sperm enters into the ovum and it, it dies. And when its DNA joins and unites with the ovum's DNA, and the nucleus, the ovum dies. It becomes a zygote. And it is that zygote that gives birth to the fetus. And, the, and so on and so forth. The, the zygote begins to, to, to multiply the cells. But it's the zygote that multiplies, not the egg and not the sperm. They die. They're, they no longer exist. The only thing that exists about them is the DNA. Because as soon as, they, as, soon as that union happens, the zygote, or sorry, the egg, completely begins to change. Well, it goes, it makes its... Uh, goes on this journey it's changed and it begins to it begins to change uh, completely transform itself from an egg into a zygote because only a zygote can multiply eggs don't multiply Ccat says I literally can't ever get to an understanding of all things I'm really tired of trying I'm just trying to and I'm tired I don't claim to be a master of anything but my own mind 
And my only sanity comes from stopping my thoughts and just being, trusting in my Savior, Jesus. My thoughts get away, uh, get way out there, admittedly. Thank God for giving me rest in my thoughts. It's all about, it's all about him for me. Thanks. That's a good policy to be. And to, to be and to be one with the Christ. That process is by being is we are aligning with our innermost being, who's our innermost essence of Christ, a seed of the logos. And trying to understand everything, if you're trying to understand it in the mind, of course it's exhausting. Right? It's exhausting. But that's why you don't have to do it. You don't have to try to understand everything. You don't have to conceptualize what... You can simply, using your conscious imagination, go to a grocery store. The next time you're in a grocery store, where do they keep the eggs and where do they keep the chicken? And why are the eggs and the, and the, and the, and the chicken kept at opposite ends of the grocery store? The eggs are with the dairy and the chicken are with the meat. Why is that? That's a very practical way of letting you know that the fundamental nature of eggs and chickens is such that eggs have more in common with dairy products than they do with meat products. At least in terms from a logistics and management perspective. Eggs, for example, have a shell. You know what? And, in, and if you're in Europe, if you're in England, Eggs don't even belong in the dairy case. Eggs are not dairy in, in, uh, in Europe. They don't even refrigerate eggs in England. Because guess what? Eggs don't need refrigeration. They don't. They don't need refrigeration. Do you see any birds out in the, in the wild with refrigerators? You go to a farm. The chickens actually, they sit on top of their eggs to incubate the eggs. That's like 30 degree plus, well, if you've ever been inside a chicken coop or a barn or what, you know how hot it gets inside a barn, right? All the, all the, 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 the body heat and everything. And, the, and then the, the straw and whatever eggs can survive an incredible amount of heat. Think about, think about the, the lizards who, uh, who live in the desert. They lay eggs. The middle of the desert, the Mojave Desert, 70, 80 degrees, right? At high noon. And they're, they're and they're sitting there and they and their their eggs are exposed in the sun. It's fine. They don't go bad. Now, admittedly, a living chicken doesn't go bad in the sun either, <laughs> right? If it's alive. Doesn't go bad. Doesn't 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 you know brought in the sun, but neither does an egg. But if you take a chicken breast or chicken thigh and leave it out in the sun, leave it un unrefrigerated, well, you're going to have problems with that. But you can leave an egg out in the sun. It's not going to go bad. In fact, the beautiful design of an egg, the reason why eggs are designed the way they are, is so that the, the egg shape 
is designed so that heat will dissipate and will 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 flow off of it because heat rises and the egg is designed and shaped that way so the yolk goes to the bottom and then the heat uh, flows off it's a it's a beautiful bit of uh, of of uh of intelligent design and 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 uh the the um the engineering of nature for it to be able to design eggs that way so you don't need to intellectualize about anything you don't it this this does this does not require it's not exhausting for you to understand this it's practical it's real it's all you need to do is surrender to what's there what's to your own experience right you don't deep fry eggs right but you do deep fry chicken okay eggs don't require refrigeration or if they do they're in the dairy case they're not with the meat they're not with the chicken they're nowhere near the chicken in the grocery store either here or in europe or in england doesn't matter so eggs are not chickens period and if eggs are not chickens and seeds are not trees we are not gods not yet we're not and if something happens to us in the process that interrupts for example we're bought or sold like an egg we're ne- that egg never becomes a chicken does it that egg is never going to be a chicken it is never going to be a chicken if it's bought or sold and if we are bought and bought and sold if our soul is bought and sold that's faust right who sells his soul to the devil if our soul is bought and sold we will never be a god period we will have to go into devolution in the second death and then be reinserted as a monad into the mineral kingdom and start the process all over again mineral plant animal human kingdom and then we have 108 lifetimes to get off the wheel and get into the supernal worlds and even then we're not a god because the nirvanis the pratyeka buddhas all those souls in heaven in nirvana who are not yet masters and are not yet resurrected masters and not yet ascended masters they're not gods yet they're still they're still just gods in potentiality dylan whiting to someone that has only known of life in 3d it's impossible for the mind to comprehend even a fourth dimension let alone the creation of the cosmos trust that progress will come if you don't quit well exactly right but the beauty of as above so below is that we have analogous uh, things at our disposal and that that we have access to that are available to us to comprehend that the three gunas, right? Sattva, uh, uh, sattva tamas, and and, um, and rajas apply to all levels of nature up to a certain point, and then we we want to escape all that, right? But as above, so below. They have the, the analogous things are here so again seeds and trees eggs and chickens etc right like it's it's all it's all connected right there are certain um archetypes 
which express themselves in a myriad different ways, but the archetypes are the archetypes and they exist in the supernal worlds. So Sikat says, thank you, I agree. Surrender to my own experience. Thank you. I'm never looking at grocery stores or shopping the same. <laughs> look, look, I appreciate um, anyone who has a strong Christian background and, and they're, they're, they have a real connection to Christ. They feel it deep in their bones. Christ, the living, breathing word of God, is all around us. It's writ large in the world around us. And it's speaking to us all the time. And it's within, within us. So that's what meditation is for. So to receive information from our innermost intimate Christ. As within, so without. And the next time you go to a grocery store, connect with what we've been saying. And you'll, 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 you'll be like, the light will come on you. Yeah, okay, I, I get it now. Chickens are not eggs. Orange juice is not milk. And yet the milk and the orange juice are practically next to each other in the grocery store. But the juice from oranges, you, you know, milk is not cow juice. It's just not, right? We don't take cow. If you took, take, take a cow and put it into a blender, you do not get milk. But if you take an orange and put it into a blender, you get orange juice with lots of pulp. Right? The two things are different. They're even made in different ways. So be practical and don't, don't overthink it and don't over-intellectualize because that is not the way. That is not the path. The path to Gnosis is, is precisely getting away and beyond all that. It doesn't have to be so exhausting. It's not an exhausting process. You just have to allow and go with the flow and, 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 uh, and, and, and relax, relax the mind, relax the mind, relax the heart. Benjamin says, I think our emotions also cause tension between our minds and heart. I stumbled upon a quote from Master uh, Samuel Rior, and he said, Woe, woe, woe to those initiates who succumb to the fiery kisses, <laughs> not of many women, but of that, but of that one woman of antonomasia of that symbolic woman who does not try to grossly seduce with suggestions of mere animal sensation but with the most perfidious and delectable arts of subtle sentimentalism and romantic emotionalism we have to be conscious of the inferior heart center and uh, sentimentality. And when he talks about romantic emotionalism, okay, so let's, let's, let's try to take that very deep and profound sounding paragraph and see if we can strip away all the fancy words and language and and uh, and uh, uh, connections to what's that Greek mythology 
Antonom Antonomasia is that she's uh, assuming that's a character from Greek mythology or some ancient mythology. Any case, in any case, let's see if we can reduce it down to its essence in the form of self-evident experiential knowledge. That which that which we seek on the path. And this is going to be the difference. Okay. Now, not I'm not okay. This is the difference between our live streams and what we do and our book and our videos and other Gnostics who have come before us and other messengers who have come before us, okay? And even in ancient times, they spoke in parables and analogies and metaphors. Why? Because they're so, they're so beautiful and simple and elegant and they can, they can express the truth like this. So that paragraph, this paragraph that spoke to Benjamin, that's so deep. Let me ask Benjamin and all of you, okay? What, what comes to mind, okay? When, if we say the words, um, the hallmark greeting card company definition of love. Does the hallmark greeting card company who have printed an, an innumerable number of greeting cards for all occasions, birthdays, weddings, deaths, uh, Valentine's Day, you name it. Is that, what the, is that what Hallmark greeting card means to you, Benjamin? Have you ever seen any of the Hallmark direct-to-video movies? Or how about the Hallmark greeting card company uh, at Valentine's Day? But, okay, but do you turn to the Hallmark greeting card company? Is the Hallmark greeting card company the de facto last word on the nature of love? Because right, so Benjamin says no. For you, it's the quote from the Bible. That's um, oh. yeah. is it is it John? Anyway, I can't remember which. I can't remember which part of the. I can't remember the uh, the book from the Bible it's from. But I know the one you're talking about. Love is patient, love is kind, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Yes, lo yes. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not, okay, let me let me put this on the screen. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not boast, it is not proud, 
It does not dishonor others. <clears throat> it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoice with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always uh, perseveres. Okay. <clears throat> what Master Samael is talking about here in this quote He's basically saying, um, beware of the Hallmark greeting card company ideas of love and relationship. Because it's right there in the last part of that quote. Subtle sentimentalism and romantic emotionalism Because that's what Hallmark greeting cards are designed to elicit. That is their currency. That is why people like them and why people buy them. Because they open up that card and they read the thing and they're like, Oh yes, they're going to love this card. And that, that, that person's going to open that card and, oh, that's so sweet. That's so beautiful. That's, oh my God, that's so romantic. Or, right? And you're buying that card because you want to elicit some kind of an emotional response in the person that you're giving it to. You want them to like it. You want them to feel overwhelmed. Or if they're going through tough times or whatever, you want to make them feel better. There are no Hallmark greeting cards that, that, that involve severity. Have you ever noticed that? There are no severe. Hallmark does not print or publish severe greeting cards. Why not? Love is severity and mercy in balanced measure applied unconditionally with infinite wisdom. Now, does that seem or sound sentimental to you? Now, if love is severity and mercy in balanced measure, What can we say about the Hallmark greeting card company that does not print a greeting card that expresses severity? That means a full 50% of the nature of love is not present, does not exist in the vernacular understanding philosophy or business practices of the Hallmark greeting card company. So what are you left with? 
Oh, mercy. Yes. Okay. Mercy, compassion, romance, kindness, politeness, all the all that stuff. Positive thinking, right? The power of positive thinking, the power of positivity, of kindness, of all this stuff. In other words, it's just like in when the new age um, uh, uh, focus on just positivity. Be positive, be positive, or be kind, be kind, be kind. Have you ever heard the expression to kill someone with kindness? To kill a man with kindness. If you were to take all the Hallmark greeting cards written in the last hundred years and compile them into a book of philosophy, you would have a bunch of sentimental, romantic uh, nonsense. Completely impractical, completely unusable in any reasonable, practical, meaningful sense. You just have a bunch of sentimental sound bites. Feel good. Yeah, yeah, sure. It would make you feel good reading it for a while. <laughs> Benjamin says, I got, I got killed by kindness in my religion. <laughs> Laugh out loud. I believe it. And he also says, thank you. Thank you, sir. Love is indeed severity and mercy if taken objectively. And also, when I contemplate this quote, I also think, that's how some music and religions get the affection of the people too, through subtle, subtle sentimentalism and romantic emotionalism. Of course, naturally, naturally. And now you, you, you're getting the feeling of it, right? You're getting the sense of it because what do religions sell you? The new age is it's not pitching anything new. You know, this great global awakening, which is supposedly on the way that everybody's going to awaken is going to, going to live in a new golden age and blah, blah, blah. That's really just the Christian rapture rebranded, repackaged and represented. Right. In the same way, the Christians believe that all they have to do is believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I just believe in Jesus. If all I have to do is believe in Jesus, I'm going to be saved. And Jesus is going to come down. There's going to be a rapture. Everything's going to take on off the world. The end of the world is going to be, and then we're all going to live. That's, and all you have to do is believe in Jesus to do that? That's sentimental superstition is what that is. It's romanticism. It's a romantic belief. It's a romantic idea. But it's not practical. It's not fundamental. The Christ must be born inside of us or on the way to being born. We must be awake. No, no, I I recognize that, Seacat. I'm not, I was not directing that statement at you. I we 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 know that that's we know that your relationship is with the Christ. And we know that you have a deep, deep awareness of the Christ and the Christ working in your life. So we know that you just you don't have a belief in Jesus, and you, and we know that you're not at that level. Uh, we know that your connection to Jesus is the Christ. Um, but the point that we're making here is that you also know, Ccat, is that you are not the uh, average Christian, right? The uh, the the uh, no no I and and. We know you. We know we have a mutual respect and appreciation because you would not be here if that wasn't true. 
And if you if you look at the people that go to Joel Olstein's mega church, the eighty thousand people in his uh, stadium seating rock rock concert style uh, uh, programs and uh, gatherings, uh, you know that 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 that's emotionalism, sentimentalism, romanticism, and indeed, in no uncertain terms, mob mentality being harnessed and being utilized to generate a, a obscene amount of money for this guy. Because that's what sells. Sentimentalism, romanticism, romantic emotionalism. The entire diamond industry exists on these romantic ideas about love and marriage. Ex exactly. Seacat salesmanship, sex sells, romance sells, sentimentalism sells. Why? Because these things stimulate the emotions. It's actually in the book that we read that we were telling you about at the beginning of the uh, live stream about the book about the social uh, thing. He's what he says. One of the things is that if you want stuff to go viral, you have to stimulate emotions. You have to get an emotional response out of your uh, out of out of your uh, your social network, because it's the only way people are going to respond, and the only way they're gonna they're going to uh, uh, share what you do is if they feel something when they encounter your content. Your content has to move them emotionally in some way. Um, and they make the point that you cannot sell using logic. You cannot sell using the mind. You don't, you know, the desire to, the desire to buy comes from an emotional need. That's the decision-making pro the, 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 the mind will tell you, will decide on, okay, so the emotions will tell you like, I, um, the emotions will dictate, I need a car, right? My car's about to die or my car died. I need a new car. The mind will pick the, uh, the, uh, the options from the options list. But when the final contract is slid before you to sign on the dotted line, it's the emotions that get you, it's, it's your emotion that gets you to sign on the dotted line. Seacat says, with good intention, but it's deceiving to tell folks the more they give, the more they'll be blessed by God. Well, listen, that's the that's rule 101 for any televangelist. Any evangelist who's on TV, they're only on TV because everything that's on TV is an ad. That's how TV is. That's how TV works. That's the only way that TV works because TV is expensive. Somebody's got to pay for it. And the only person, the only reason why that televangelist is on TV at all is that people watch him. Benjamin says, oh yeah, Seacat <laughs> says, abso-fucking-lutely. Uh, Benjamin says, the sad thing is that most contents that get lots of attention on the internet nowadays are shallow things, those that satisfy egos. Well, yeah. Yeah, 
and again, shallow things, simplistic things, uh, but emo things that trigger emotions, but pretty primal base emotions, sentimentality. So for example, pet videos, animal videos. Um, and I readily admit, I will readily admit to this. I will confess, I am a sucker for animal videos on the internet. Whether it's YouTube, whether it's Facebook, if there's an animal in it, especially if there, it's a cute animal or it's a funny animal or it's a charming animal, it doesn't matter. I love animals. I love animals. And I like to think I love them for more than just the fact that they're cute. But I'll be honest with you, I'm a sucker for those videos. I mean, my, my dog passed away now going on almost three years ago and I miss, I miss my dog and I miss having that, that connection, that, that, that the ability to, you know, to snuggle because he loved to, you know, he loved to sit in my lap and, you know, we snuggled and we played and we went for our walks. I still go for my walks in the woods, but I miss not having a companion on my walk in the woods and everybody else walking in the woods most most everybody else walking in the woods has a dog and i miss the camaraderie and the um the companionship and the the friendliness and the relationships that i developed with uh with people because we were both we were we were all dog owners we were both dog owners. i would go to the dog park i take my dog the dogs would play the dog owners chit chat right but I have no desire to own any like big cats, right? Lions or pumas or tigers or I have no desire for any of that. But I I love what I like watching nature documentaries. I love like I I, I like animals. There's something about them. I you know, and I love and I find so many different animals fascinating and beautiful in their own way. Right, I even like like furry tarantulas and snakes and all kinds of things. But and but I'm pretty sure that that the the love of that and the and the longing to actually commune with those animals in some way to have a kind of a moment right um, with them. I don't know. Maybe maybe it is a serotonin increaser. The, the animal videos, the cat videos and whatnot. Kaya says, few seek depth. Um, again, I admit I love cute animals and stuff like that. I when I try when I meet a dog though or a cat, I do try to bond with it, make a deeper connection with it. I, I really do. Um, sometimes but sometimes the animal takes that the wrong way because I come on too strong. I'm a very intense person, right? So I have a lot of intense energy. And that can come off as a little um, aggressive to uh, to an animal. And, and indeed, to people as well, right? Because if I come on, I have a you know, big personality, a lot of, lot of energy, very intense. And, um, and lots of times I can be, people can be turned off by that. They go, whoa, whoa, hey, 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 wait, wait, you know, keep your distance type thing, right? 
Um, Dylan says, it's like the book of Eli. They all want the book for the wrong reasons. It must be protected. We have a feeling that um, this comment relates back to uh, the uh, televangelism, but also the, the fact that, yeah, the book of Eli is the Bible. And, um, and, and uh, Gary Oldman's character wants it because it's like everything to, to, to have ultimate power over people and control them and everything. It's all in that book. You got to find me that book. That book has the words. That book has the words that will make me the supreme ruler of the world. It's ex yeah, and Dylan's right here. It's they want the power for the wrong reasons, but the power is in the book. The book of Eli is a brilliant movie it's based on a graphic novel by the way I'm not sure if you knew that but um it's uh it's it's a just a it is it is truly a a very uh, uh telling and ingenious uh um revelation um Anna asks, off topic, but where can I buy your book? Well, uh, you can buy a book that we wrote uh, <laughs> well over 10 years ago now, uh, but that has nothing to do with uh, esotericism. That was, uh, that's our first book that we wrote called The Atlas Project, Volume 1. Uh, and you can get that on, uh, on Amazon. But on any of these topics, the book that I'm writing now, I'm still writing it. What you can do is you can go to atlas.info and on atlas.info, Anna, uh, you can find many articles and that are uh, lengthy. They're, they're, there's certainly uh, many of them qualify as the length of a book, or no, sorry, the length of a chapter of a book, at the very least, and at least one of them, uh, our dissertation on fear, which is called um, uh, "Face the Many Faces of Your Fear." That article is actually the basis of our book. So you, it's it's not complete. In that our book is good, our book is building upon and fleshing out that article, but um, uh, but if we can share this with you here now, there's the article, there's our blog, and um, and this is the, the the homepage has all the articles here, all the blog articles listed, and uh, right here is face your fears, many faces. And uh, this thing, as you can see, as I'm scrolling through, this is a monster of a of a blog article. Like this is this is uh, quite quite the thing. Uh, so if you want a sneak preview, 
of what the book is going to be. You're welcome. All right. Does anybody have any more questions or comments? Um, do you do you do you feel like we covered the uh, the topic for this evening adequately? Because um, we're at three and a half hours, and uh, if there's nothing else for anybody to share, then um, then we can uh, perhaps call it a night. But if you have any more uh, questions or comments or or uh, then then please take this take this opportunity and um, or if you have anything else to share. then um, by all means do so. Otherwise, uh, you can remember, you can join us on Monday afternoons at 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 7 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time. The Monday afternoon live streams are for people in Europe and Africa and that part of the world where it's just too late for them on here. Um, and then we're live every Wednesday and Friday night. Now... We'll see how this goes. We may have to adjust that schedule. Um, we'll have to see if we can get by um, because we may, if we add another live stream to our schedule, we may add a live stream for no uses. Um, we may do that. We'll We'll have to see how that goes. This is all part of this processes and this plan for we have for 2022 for building up our followers and building up our base in order to uh so when we when we complete our book and we send it to publishers that they recognize that we we have an existing um uh a fan base or uh followers an existing audience for the book um this is a this is a necessity we we or Otherwise, even if they don't publish the book, if nobody wants to pick it up, if we have that base, if we have that follower base, then we have um, a group of people to, if we self-publish the book, to to market the book to, and to, you know, if we build up our, our relationships and our network and our reciprocal relationships in order to build up that, uh, that follower base, then even if we find ourselves in a position where we're forced to self-publish, then um or we go with a smaller publisher again that all of this will dovetail nicely into uh into making things happen so we remind you if you are watching on on i guess any of the pl other platform like twitch or youtube um we remind you to please like this video uh share it if you can uh, subscribe to the channel and click the notification bell. CCAT says your insight is much appreciated. Looking forward to your book. I'm looking forward to finishing it. <laughs> I've already got, uh, what, 100 pages done. Um, 
Let's see now. Yeah. Here it is here. And, um, oh, incidentally, incident, well, we're, we're really going over time now. I don't want to, but uh, we'll get into this maybe at well, some point in the future. But, but this is, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you guys for your, for your uh, feedback on this. This is, this is basically the title, the title and subtitle. Um, if that makes any sense, I'll put that in the, uh, this is, this is all this, this shitty here is for, uh, for the agents and the publishers. It's not, that's, that's like extra stuff that would never appear on the book that way. But the, um, That's the uh, essentially the title, like like if you can if you can imagine, like I imagine a cover where it would be F fear in like big huge bold letters, and then the three asterisks would be like bullet points underneath. So it would be, it would be something like this, right? It would now it wouldn't, you know, we we would we would, oh no, we can't do we can't do it here because everything's going to be shifting around. Um, you know what i will make i will make like a mock-up of what the book cover might look like it won't look like that because the publishers are funny and they always they're always going to want the, the the cover to be the way they want it to be but i'll make a mock-up of what the cover looks like and maybe i'll do some mocks up mock-ups with some different title uh proposals and then what i'll do is i'll put it on facebook and i'll make a poll and i'll let you guys vote on which ones which one you like and which one you think, which title of the book you think is most, most um, catchy, but also informative. And which one, like if you try to try to put yourself in the shoes of someone who's seeing that cover on Amazon or seeing it on a bookshelf in a bookstore. Benjamin Raphael says, I was just searching the internet for any similar book titles. And this will stand out as an original. Yes, we know it will. This book is going to be the de facto um, authoritative text on the nature of fear. There has never been a philosophical, literary or or scholarly uh, endeavor enterprise like this in the history of this humanity the closest would be like the writings of saint thomas aquinas and uh, saint augustine right the christian mystics who, who wrote about the seven deadly sins they will have covered fear in the context of the seven deadly sins, but no one, no one. Seacat says, I like fuck fear. One of the best selling books out there by a psychiatrist is called fuck feelings. Ironically enough. Yeah. So, um, we know that that's the catchy one. 
you know that that would that's the one that would grab people people's attention um we have the benefit of and because we have the benefit of using the three asterisks asterisks we can right we can we can play with that and then the subtitle of the book is so it's it's f fear but the three asterisks stand for face and free yourself from the many faces of fear so it's face and free yourself from the faces of fear so we have that all built in there so it's 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 catchy but it's also got that clever aspect of it but i can get the information across at the same time so it's, there's a practical aspect to it um that's that's my first choice anyway um but we'll see how it goes um i gotta finish writing the damn thing but as we as we write it and as we 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 get deeper into it we begin to realize just how important and just how critical fear is i mean fear is the real pandemic the entire covidici um is based upon it and so much and now right if you if you oh benjamin Raphael says are you going to be using a five-pointed asterisk or six-pointed my preference is five but if i have to use six it's not a problem because the six-pointed asterisk is the rune hagal and it's also as above so below it's the star of david so you could you know if you have three asterisks in in the row you can say yeah but that's six 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 it's okay because it's in the word f meaning fuck and if it's six 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 and someone points that out or whatever it's the fact of the matter is fear is satanic fear is an ego fear is a demon so if if the six pointed asterisks are represent six 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 and it's f six 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 fear then that's just reinforcing on a sub on an unconscious level it's reinforcing the nature of fear which is the point of the book to reveal and unveil that fear is a demon we know we know that so intimately we are an we are So, uh, but five-pointed stars, obviously, five-pointed asterisks, upright, of course. It's okay. You don't. Although, you know what? Now that I'm now that I mentioned, I think I have seen inverted five-pointed asterisks in my day, but I won't allow any publisher to make a book cover like that. If they do, I would never. I would never okay it. I would never okay it. All right. My strategy, by the way, is to take the weekends to uh, prepare all my uh, social media post content and then put it into, I can put it into the Facebook business manager for Facebook and Instagram. And like you basically put it into a hopper and you can schedule it 
this day, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, what times they're released. And then, uh, then it gives me the rest of the week to work on the book and, and to do these and continue doing these live streams and doing things like all the other sharing and whatnot that I do. And also the, um, expanding the, uh, the network, trying to reach out to other content creators, trying to establish reciprocal relationships. But my plan is to, uh, is to work out a kind of schedule where I don't, where I, I have a tendency or I've had a tendency in the past to get like very obsessive compulsive about certain things. And then I, I tend to like, I end up like burning myself out on that particular thing this way with this approach doing the social media and the, the different content creation and stuff gives me lots of different things to work on. So, so after, after writing for a couple, you know, several hours, if I start to feel myself needing a break from that, I can shift to going and working on making a video, right? Making video content because that's a, a completely different faculties that are being used. So I can rest the, the literary writing, you know, muscles and now work on just or, or, or do some other kind of like more more mechanical tedious work editing you know recording whatever right and then hopefully this will help this help balance out and this will help hopefully facilitate everything moving forward in a relatively quick quick pace because i know that if you have nothing else to do and you're just trying to write the book i know that doesn't work because that's what causes burnout that's what, and then you end up with writer's, writer's block and all these other things because you've been, you're sitting there just trying, waiting for something to happen. Well, if we have this other tasks that we have to complete, if, some, if, no, if nothing's coming right now on the writing front, that's okay. We can switch gears and do something else. We can build our social media following. We can always create content for social media. Just like this, uh, this quote that we shared with you from Master Samael, um, this quote is going into a video we're going to make a video that's, that's all based around this quote. And, um, and as we showed you guys, like, I mean, we, we have no shortage of content, right? And when we showed you what the length of some of these things are, and then you guys know all the memes and other stuff that we've created over the years, um, like there's so much content that we have that we can start animating, putting to music, putting to narration. Like we can, we can turn this easily. Um, you know, the, the Lion King and the Tree of Life, we can turn that single image into a 20 minute long video explaining all of these relationships, right? And then using that as a, as a tool to, to talk about the, the Tree of Life to neophytes who have never, never studied Kabbalah. But this is a way for them to, to gain access to it from a, from a vantage point that they are familiar with and that, uh, that is friendly to them. Okay, but those are the nuts and bolts of uh, what we're having to do and what we're going to be working on moving forward. I want to thank everybody for uh, joining us tonight, for, for participating. Lots of good questions, lots of good comments. Um, and, uh, and yeah, remember that next time you feel the pull, you know, the tug, the tension between mind and heart and what you're, 
you know, your, your reason, your ration, rational mind is telling what you what to do and what your the still soft voice and your intuition, your gut is telling to do. Um, you know, our advice to you is go with your gut, trust your divine mother, go with your gut. She knows what's best. She really does know what, what, know what's best for us and let go of your fear and your desire for comfort and security. And, uh, I'm not going to say throw caution to the wind or anything like that. I mean, you know, you, you, you go at your own pace and, and, uh, but at the very least you can peer over the other side and, and see if there isn't a way to, to begin doing that work alongside what you're already doing and then prepare for some kind of a shift at some point in the future where, where if you're, where if you've been doing a hundred percent, this bring this in and start doing 20% this 80% that right. Or, you know, or if you're doing, nobody's doing a hundred percent of anything, right? So you, you, you have your certain lifestyle and everything that you're doing right now, but maybe you're doing whatever percentage you're doing 80, 70% of your time is doing that 20 or 30% of your time is spent doing something else. Maybe it's entertaining yourself. Maybe it's, you know, poker with the guys or, 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 or it's, you know, you know, gossiping on the phone with the, with your girlfriends or whatever you, you know, whatever it is you're doing, maybe you can say, well, I can do this other thing instead. I can follow my heart. I can, I can, I can start investing in, in the deep longing of my soul instead. And then as you move forward and as things change and you, the, the circumstances around your life change, you might find that those percentages can start to change. So you don't have to abandon everyone and everything in your life, you know, and, and quit your life cold turkey willy-nilly to go run off and join the circus. But, so there are a way, there is a way, no matter what, no matter what your circumstances are, whatever, nobody is that trapped. Even if you're, even if you're in prison, and for, by some miracle of, I don't know what, you're watching these live streams from prison. Even in prison, you can start pursuing your longing to bring into the world that which what, that you were born to do. Because in prison, you got lots of time to retrospect, meditate, contemplate, pray, pranayama, rites of rejuvenation, all the practices that we talked about Wednesday. You can do all of them in prison. And you can also write. You can paint. You can sketch. You can write music. You can sing. So no excuses. No excuses. Really. Because those excuses come from your mind. Remember that. Remember that. All right. Thank you again, all of you, from the bottom of our heart. And uh, yeah, we hope to see you again, well, Wednesday and certainly next week. So have a wonderful weekend. And as always, say inverential peace and have a good night.